0: No, the tide is safe. episode 14 of No Guitar Is Safe. I'm Jude Gold, and you're listening right there to uh, Bruce Foreman, my guest today. What a monster jazz player he is. If you know anything about the current roster of jazz guitar players over the past couple three decades, then you certainly know about Bruce Foreman, because he's just diabolical. It just blows my mind that, you know, you could see him at a restaurant in LA or Burbank on a Tuesday night or something. I recommend you sign up for his email so you can know when he's playing. He has a various situations he does. Bruce Foreman, you know, trio, whatever, or he does Cowbop, which is a, a band with his wife Pam, Pamela, Pammy, Pinto Pammy, as they call her. They're uh, already inducted into the Texas Western Swing Hall of Fame. They're bringing Western Swing, that which is that really exciting, upbeat version of, of bebop kind of jazz bringing that into the new millennium which is really cool and uh, Bruce does so many other things I first discovered him when I was about 18 or 19 and I heard him on the radio on K jazz in the Bay Area when I still live there I had to go out and I bought that record right away he sounded so great he's done so much stuff too um, he's gonna show you what he did on Clint Eastwood's Academy Award winning movie Million Dollar Baby his guitar is all over that soundtrack. I think he's done a couple other movies with Clint Eastwood, too. Pretty neat that they uh, they won for Best Picture, or I guess Clint Eastwood did, but that sort of success really, uh, it trickles downward, which is great. Bruce also has a one-man show called Red Guitar, just him and a guitar and a bunch of music and a bunch of stories. Can't wait to see that myself. But the thing about this episode is even if you're not a jazz player, wow, we get into some deep stuff that applies to all music. Like for instance, do you know what a sequence is? You know, I'm not talking about a MIDI file that you use to make um, computerized backing tracks. No, a really old musical concept of a melodic sequence where you take a motif and then you repeat it over the changing harmony. So the, the shape of the melody is kind of generally the same and the rhythm is pretty much the same, but it adapts to the new chord. Vivaldi, of course. Summer from the Four Seasons. I thought that was a good example of sort of some melodic sequencing. Bruce is gonna talk about how, no matter what kind of music you play, or what song, or what kind of solo you're building, if, you're, if it's good, it's probably tapping into sequencing in some kind of way because, well, I'll let him talk about it, but really fascinating way of looking at the power of a good melody or the power of a good solo. This, by the way, is not Vivaldi. That's cowbop, Bruce's Texas swing or his western swing band. Um, I have a lot of fun with Bruce. Bruce loves to play changes. Being that I'm not a true jazz player, you know, I'm trying to keep up with him. And uh, I apologize if I get a little too self deprecating at times. I know sometimes that can be almost as tiring as somebody boasting all the time but you know just I'm playing with Bruce I mean he is just a ninja he is the Ronda Rousey of bebop the Bruce Lee of bebop man got him right there at one point I'm so happy because you know he can play anything in any key anytime I actually pulled out my strat for one song as you'll hear to do this sort of Jeff Beck thing that I wanted to try on Green Dolphin Street and so then I switched from my 335 over to the strat, but then I switched back that's just in case you're listening to the guitar tones and wondering what's going on but um, we have a blast, you know, and Bruce is also a professor, or I guess a, I guess his technical title is an adjunct assistant professor at University of Southern California, USC, in the Studio Jazz program. They offer a doctorate in guitar. How cool is that? And so we talk about jazz education, and beyond just the mechanics of soloing and sequencing and all that, Bruce really gets into, like, what does it mean to be a musician? How can you find your voice how do you know when you're really making a stand man he, he demands it of you you'll hear it man he's like he's got a lot of spinal column and he and he wants you to have that spinal column too and i think that's really important i hope you dig this episode let's take the copter we're going to take that helicopter right over to the living room because that's where bruce meets me he comes over to my house for this one hope you dig it talk later no is sober. Sure First of all i could just watch you play all day
1: really second Why? Of all, <laughs> <laughs> i can't
0: <laughs> i have to shut my eyes tell me about this beautiful guitar first of all the tone is just magnificent
1: oh well thank you um this is an old l5 it's about late 60s early 70s somewhere in there it's actually i got it it's almost an exact replica of my original l5 which i still have it was That one's a 69 for sure. I had that one dated. And uh, Carbon Dating, you know, they do that in, really? in laboratories now. Seriously, Anyways. for guitars. <laughs> That'd be funny. <laughs> Anyways, but uh, I got this one to be the backup just because my girl that I'd had since high school was starting to show signs of road wear. You know, the neck was starting to, the finish was cracking. And I was like, you know, maybe she needs a rest. So I got this, and it turns out I kind of like it a little better. Wow. So uh if you saw them next to each other you other than the the pit guard, this one this one had obviously been kept in a case for too many years and the pit guard had gone so somebody had made a new pit guard for it you know it had off-gassed like mm, they
0: do It's pretty. I'll definitely put some pictures on it. Yeah, and uh, uh and page. I
1: just like the damn thing, you know, and it feels like it gets mm-hmm. my sound. It's the best instrument for me. In in every setting I play, I mean, I have another guitar I kind of play when I do solo shows. It's way more acoustic, but it you know it doesn't interface well with other instruments or louder amps or anything.
0: What kind of guitar is that?
1: It's it's handmade by this guy in Germany named Stefan Sontag, and it's super acoustic. It's got a real thin top, and it's great for playing solo because it just you know it's got all that acousticity to it. This has a lot of that, but not as much as that other one. But this one pl- plays well with others. I've modified it a little bit just because certain things weren't working. You know, as you go through life, or you, I, I did, you know, I like changed the tuning gears because the old ones weren't really working right.
0: What kind of are, are those?
1: These are shallower. Oh. I just got used to these. I had them. I had them actually on my other L five, and I just got used to the yeah. gear. And like now with these tuners, I can actually move them without even hearing the string and know how much I need. You know, you get. You get just after yeah. many years of playing something, you get this feel thing, like, you know, if I need a little bit or, a, you know, it's weird. Yeah, yeah. And I'm really always close. Right. By feel. I mean, it
0: comes you do from it. playing a lot.
1: Yes, exactly. Which is the key to everything. I'm sure that uh, of all the podcasts you've done, pretty much that's been a recurrent theme, right?
0: Yeah. Well, everyone on so far is just absolutely, they live it. Yeah. 24 7. They live guitar.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, music. It's just, you know, you play a lot. You you just got to be there doing it for the
0: inspiration to hit. Yeah. So now, in, the, in regard to your guitar, I just interviewed uh, John Schofield for the. Yeah. The I've funny, heard of him. Yeah, he's a cool cat from New York. Check him out. Yeah, I should check just him out more. Of the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, he, yeah, he's been playing these Ibanez As two hundreds forever, and he had, he for similar to you, he just put aside his main one and picked is playing this other one he's had for a million years that he never really played. He's like right. oh, just discovering it. Uh huh. He's really into it.
1: Yeah. Well, it happens, you know. I mean, I I really like I say I got this just for a road guitar, and then next I'm kind of monogamous. <laughs> I'm one of those guys that once I start playing something, I really don't. i'm not like a guy that pick having this other guitar for solo shows because i've been doing this one man show thing having another guitar just for that has been like the first time in my life i've ever had that sort of thing it's always i got my voice i got my one guitar i just do it you know
0: now i've always been like an aspiring jazz player but i get you know i play backbeat gigs is Mm -hmm. mostly what i get doing yeah but i'm always so not just aspiring but so inspired when i see people play the way you do and and few people can play like that, my brother. But <laughs> well, yeah. I love like when you're soloing and you're bursting into chords. To me, that's kind of like the next level. You got single note lines, and then you've got chordal lines that you're improvising right. like, over a blues. I'm like, can you show us a little bit more? Well,
1: it's it's really. I mean, it comes back to a philosophy. I think you know. I just, um, and I know, we're a lot of us guitar players are victims of the mentality of rhythm and lead. You know, where we, we were taught to play, we kind of assumed rhythm was sort of playing chords, which is geometric shapes, the grips and stuff, you know. And it makes it, makes it easy to learn the instrument quick. It's, it is a good way to think. And then the lead guys played scales. So what ends up happening is if you kind of start with that mentality and you move through your career playing music and you don't really leave that DNA behind what you're talking about becomes very difficult because there's, there's sort of a linkage, a transitional point. Like when I go to playing chords, I lose the melodic side. You know, And when yeah. I go to play a melody, I lose the chordal side. Well, with jazz, it's really, there's no difference. You're playing right. lines, you're playing chords. It's the same thing. It's just what you're doing. Your mentality never needs to change. So if I'm playing, you know, like we were in G and I'm playing through mm-hmm. a G, I mean, the line just kept going, and I just decided to harmonize it with chord voicings. Right. You dig know what I'm saying? But that comes from years of thinking of my chord voicings as melodies. Like when I'm yeah. comping for you, I'm not just playing G and then any C I've got. I'm hearing like... Yeah. And that just, just you know, if you like, you basically took that concept and made it steroidal. Yeah. You know what I mean? All I'm really doing is just kind of comping. A little bit more busily. All you're doing is soloing and comping at the same time. Piece of cake. <laughs> yeah, but you. But I mean, I mean just, it's really important that where you got to understand where it comes from. Somebody wants to do it. It's like, you got to kind of lose that whole, like, well, these are the chords, and these are the lines. And, you know, th- so therefore, you know, first of yeah. all, your mentality is different. And you know how it is, how dangerous it is while you're playing to try and change your, like, wh- the way you're thinking. That always creates rhythmic problems. It always creates, you know, like disjointed things, so that's the first part, but the second part is also when you're comping is to realize that when you're playing chords, rhythm, you are playing melodies, the note on the top is leading to yeah. the next chord, and you need to really stop relating to the chords as the shape that you're playing, but actually the sound that you're making. Then it's easy to easier yeah. to transition into this chord melody thing that we're talking about, because already you're playing, whether you know it or not, even if you're going... <laughs> Even if you do that, you are Yeehaw. playing a melody. Yeah. Da, da 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 dee dee de, da. De, de, de. And and so to to relate to that chord to that instead of this shape to this shape to this shape means you're ready to start playing chord melodies. Da 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 da. You know, I mean that it's kind of you That's know what parallel, I'm saying? very parallel, but you're on the right track, yeah and, that, and, and you're starting to break down those little barriers that guitar players sort of yeah. build in their very early part of their learning.
0: well, let me ask you this, you're you know a very established educator, and we'll get into Well, yeah
1: you know <laughs> it does not enough to hurt my playing hopefully
0: <laughs> excellent uh, and I always thought and I'm curious about your opinion that guitar players often learn tunes the wrong way, they learn the chord like they learn jazz tunes like. I can play all the things. Right, 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 right. They're learning these clumps and these grids, and then the last thing they might get is the melody. Right. Really, they should probably start the other way around and then fill it in.
1: Yes, I would highly, yeah. If you want to learn the song and remember it, if you learn the melody, you'll always remember it. If you learn the chords, you could screw up. It goes, was that B flat minor four bar, four beats or two beats? You know, I mean, there's a there's a yeah. lot of memory shit. Pardon the French. There, no,
0: no, There's a lot speak of memory. We're multilingual in oh, this good. Uh, okay. podcast.
1: Um, there's a lot of memory stuff associated with, with remembering the chords for a song. However, if you listen to that melody, you know exactly when the next chord has to happen. And if you've played a few songs, you know what the next chord is likely to be anyways. I mean, you just your hand is going to start grabbing through the cycle anyways. Yeah. So to really approach a song without knowing the melody, you're just really making it so much harder for yourself. And right. this isn't easy. I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the first guy to say that this stuff is hard. So really the point of our using our brain in this mixture should be to make it easier for ourselves. So just by learning the melody, learning to sing the melody, I have this thing where in my school, where we teach the kids are responsible for X amount of repertoire every semester, you know, in a jury. And I just tell them, if you make a playlist of these songs and listen to them for a couple of weeks, and then go to learn them, it's going to be the easiest thing in the world for you. Right. And the ones that do that are very successful, and the ones that don't spend you know drinking coffee for three days and not sleeping just before their jury, and then they forget everything they learned anyways. And, and I don't know why, I mean, if you were writing a song, you would write a melody. Yeah, if you were playing a song, you would play the melody. I don't know why there's this sort of, you know, almost as if there's a willful decision not to learn that as a guitar player, I'll just learn the chords and, or I'll, I'll stare at the paper, you know, and that's going to make me a jazz
0: player. And, you know, I... well, the other thing about the melody is it's, it's like a roadmap through the obstacles. So if you're unsure of the changes, you can start with the melody and that's going to guide you right across the freeway. And all those chords are going to, you know, it's like cars are going to miss you, so to speak. And then you can stretch out from there. I mean isn't that where James came from? Amen. I jazz mean, thank you, brother. You know, if you're <laughs>
1: preaching to the con- you're preaching to the congregation here, you know, I mean to the choir. I uh, you know, I can't tell you how much that I'd suggest to you the biggest problem with most people who are trying to play jazz is because they're not embracing the melody that they don't get that really all of it comes from the melody and and in my methodology of teaching the first thing I do is get people okay this is a given song we know what key it's in we know what key it's if it changes keys we know where it changes keys and just play the melody and play as if you don't know the changes start there Play the song, embellish the melody, all the things. There could be ornaments you could use. You could use chromatic things. You could use uh, all sorts of rhythmic displacements, late and early. And then, yeah. you know, you know you're in the key of X, so you could play the blues a little bit or play some simple ideas just to fill in the spaces between the melody ideas you play. Yeah. And then you're starting to play melodically. That's that's the mindset you need to take to the changes, if you don't take that mindset to the changes, you don't have a chance in hell of playing good jazz right. you really don't or you 'll sound like one of those guys who went to school and learned a lot of shit, but really don 't say nothing. I mean, if you listen to even the guys who were the most dense guys in the world, you know uh, we think of somebody like John Coltrane or or Michael Brecker who really played a lot of notes right, and they played a lot of harmonic stuff in their solos ultimately. Why it sounds so good is because they're connected to the melody and they're connected to playing melodies with these harmonic ideas.
0: Yeah, they went way out on some limbs. Exactly, but the but melodies and the it held to
1: all the rules and it, all the, the things that we associate with melodic lyrical play.
0: Now you, you have to show me some of these stuff, some of the ways that you could take a melody and branch off. Okay,
1: we we need to take a let's take a tune.
0: All right, is it you want a longer tune? name or an
1: a, name, name any tune you want. All the things? Okay, sure. So this song is and actually another thing to understand about melodies is that they're basically sequences. You can take any song and why it's a good song, why we love it, is because it's got some sort of sequential approach to to the music. We're and we're and we're hardwired to hear that way. Right. So for us not to utilize that aspect in our playing is sort of giving up on the laws of nature it's like you know it's like say i'm not going to breathe or something yeah. Yeah, so we, this song is all about the third of the chord is the melody
0: right and that's the sequence in each chord
1: that's all yeah. we all he did i mean you know the composer probably thought to himself well i got to write a tune what am i going to do i'm going to feature the third and you know i mean jerome kern who's a great writer and this song is one of the world's best ever songs everybody plays it and this is the best step, uh study for playing through the cycles of the chords ever,
0: and, and it bounces around to a couple of keys. It bounces cool.
1: around to new keys and modulates through strange, usually chromatic devices. And um, so, so, so I've got this melody. It's a pretty simple little melody. One, two, three, four. And the original is da 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 da. da. Okay, and now the next part. I'm going to maybe embellish it. Me yeah. doubling notes, a lot of me kind of trilling with notes, a lot of me sliding around notes, circling the notes chromatically. Sometimes I would uh, I would use, instead of... boo You know, I kind of like to use a uh, tension note, which you know, and doing. I never did get around to playing the blues over the song, which I could have done, but, the, yeah. you know, just starting like that and just really... Because the beautiful way, thing when you play that way is I'm hearing what I want to be playing, so... When we hear things, there is all this musical DNA attached. There's not just the note and the rhythm. There's the note, the rhythm, there's the articulation, there's the dynamics, how loud we want it, there's there's maybe some slide into it, there's a little bit of a perhaps a rhythmic shading, you know, laying back, pushing. There's all these things that happen when we hear the notes we're going to play that if we think the notes we're going to play, none of that is a part of it. So you can realize how like... Wow, me thinking F minor, B flat minor, E flat 7, A flat major. You can my my lines are going dead. Right. Right? Whereas if I heard boo <laughs>
2: Okay,
1: an idea. Sequences appear. You see what I mean? Like, in, in my doing this, I'm giving myself a chance to really hear what I'm playing, therefore I'm listening to what I'm playing, therefore I can respond to what I'm playing. And that's a big problem with thinking your way through the chord changes. You are not playing in context, therefore all this melodic stuff that a composer would have... Is not there. You know? It's like, and I can use different ideas than what Jerome Kern did to still create a solo. Maybe I can decide to do it with, um, with uh, small intervals. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Which was not yeah. da dee do dee do dee. I just kind of went descending down Step-wise through the chord change. changes yeah you know what I'm saying so it's these kinds of ways of of hearing your way through the song seem to me to be prerequisites for playing really good on the other side which is the more bebop-y stuff that I like to do (laughs) But you know but but it's not just the bebop. I want everybody who's listening to pay yeah. attention to the fact that my lines are in context. When you he, the reason you I suggest to you the reason you can follow them is because there's things that happen that respond to the thing that just happened and not just playing through the changes.
0: Kind of, you're kind of relating back to the, the I'm just telling a story. Thing.
1: I'm telling a story, if you could say, which is kind of esoteric yeah. crap, but it's true. Yeah. Uh, you know, yes, yeah, right. The sequencing in context, however you want to call it. You know, there's
0: a development of an idea, some people might call it. I'm not sure if everyone understands the musical term sequence. I'm not even quite sure I know how to define it, but I know what it is when I hear it, which is kind of a repeated motif. Right, exactly. Appears and it appears in different subsequent chords. Exactly,
1: and it could be intervallic, right? It right. could be, you know, that's a sequence, right? right? It could be rhythmic, right? Could be that, could be even something like textural if i if i do high low that's see what yes. I mean? I've set up something and you expected me to go down low and play something next, yeah, right? Interesting you think we're
0: hardwired that way, which makes perfect sense. We
1: are. It with name every yeah. s- autumn leaves, boo doo doo yeah. dee, boo
0: doo dee, boo cool.
1: doo dee. This song doo dee doo dee doo dee. Cool. Yeah, those
0: are very similar, but aren't there a million like what about Groovin' High or something? Uh, yeah, well, Groovin' High they, even has that too. It does have a sequence happening. Sure of it does course it does. But do they all? Now <laughs> you got me thinking.
1: You know yes, I would suggest you not some don't, but I think they all do. Do some oh, okay. I mean that's what makes us able to absorb it. You know, Beatles right. tunes were all that. Yeah. Da 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 ba ba do ba do bi ba da ba do boo. Right. See, I mean that ba-da-da da is yesterday, right? That's the yeah. idea. Yeah. And that sequence carries through. Right. Or take the A train. It's all about the sixth interval. Yeah. <worried> yeah. <worried> uh, boo, boo. Now here's chromatic, but what happens? Yeah. It's right. our sixth again. You know yeah. what I mean. So we're all. This is the way we hear melody. Why are we not improvising naturally? Be- I'll tell you why. Yeah. Because we're not listening to what we're playing. We're thinking what we're playing.
0: All right. So now let me hear a little bit of your bebop the, bebop mix with okay. the sequences. okay. Okay. One,
1: two. A one, two, three. <laughs> you hear that? Could you hear how like you could follow my playing and I suggest to you the reason you could follow my playing was not because I was playing the right notes or right. on the chords but actually there were melodic and rhythmic and textural motifs that kept appearing and you, you could kind of intuit what was going to come next and sometimes I would give it to you and sometimes I'd surprise you yeah. and that was really the meat of my story was how much I gave you what you expected and how much I surprised you.
0: Right. That's, that's the other half it. Yeah. And that's what I, You know, that brings me to the other side of truly swinging, which I don't pretend, per, what's the word, portend to know anything <laughs> about or pretend. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, I mean, I've seen cats really swing, like a, your friend Joel Taylor and Mike Stern. Yeah. Just watching them play Autumn Leaves for like 20 minutes, and they're surprising each other and then reacting to each other. That's like the whole other half right. of it. And they're also really melding the time. How do you possibly... Teach this aspect of, of swinging. Like for example, you know, I just watched uh, George Harrison's concert for Bangladesh for the oh, first time. Oh man,
1: that's such a! I haven't seen it in thirty years or and so. And that but.
0: that uh, Ravi Shankar, Ali Akbar Khan, they are just warping the time. Sometimes oh, they come yeah. in with something and they'll push way ahead and they'll pull way back. That's the whole other thing. I don't even know how you teach that. <laughs> I don't think you know. I
1: mean, maybe the Indian, you know, those Indian guys have a way of doing it. I don't know. I'm saying
0: I think you do it too, and I think Mike Stern and all you cats that are really swinging, all five of you. Well,
1: that's (laughs) great to know. Uh, Really, there's a lot of swinging music. I mean, first of all, I'd love to say, oh, I came up with the idea or something, but I mean, a lot of it's just listening to really swinging guys my whole life and being super immersed in that style of play. Was it just sort of becomes my yeah. way of hearing, and then playing a lot with super swinging guys, you, especially a drummer. You play with a drummer that's just got such this beautiful beat. It becomes part of you, and you you almost physically remember where that is in your body. It's like a a little space you go to when you play. Maybe it's in your chest or in your. Ass, or we went in your leg, or something, and you kind of almost focused your, yourself into that spot, that swing spot that felt so good. And you know, you put yourself there, and you try and get everybody around you to buy into where you're coming from, and that's where it gets beautiful. But it's also beautiful when people have contradictory things, and you find a new space to live just from meshing a little bit different way of going about it. So I think that the way that you can screw it up the most is by trying to swing. Because when people man, try to manufacture swing, what they think they're hearing is kind of a. That kind of a thing, like a oompa 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 oompa. Right. You know, when what they're really hearing is a more even group of notes that has a dynamic explosion to it. Which is, which is a really, I think, a hallmark of my personal playing. A lot of it is very helpful because I play these kinds of guitars, which are very dynamically responsive. But even more so, I'm pretty sure you've noticed in my playing that there's this really dynamic articulation, you know, loud, soft. And that's yeah. where I get a lot of my forward motion of my lines. I don't get it from the rhythmic placement. You know what I'm saying? Instead yeah. of going Doo ba do ba do ba do ba do ba ba I'm going do ba do ba do ba do ba do ba da boo do ba da It's really coming more out of the dynamic yeah. articulation and where I'm accenting those beats that kind of gives the music this forward motion. And the one thing I know for sure, there's a million ways to swing. Right. But there's one way for sure not to swing. And that is to try to swing. <laughs> right. You've got to let it happen. And of course, they're... I'm
0: using the term loosely. It could be straight ahead four four time, and still, you know, Led Zeppelin swung or John exactly. Bobby oh did. man, yeah.
1: they were great bands swinging. You know, and to me, you're right. I don't think of swing as like a specific stylistic genre. I think of swing as a feeling when the music is really yeah. in motion. That would be a better word, almost than swing motion. It's got this forward motion, and everything just seems to lead to the next place, and it feels so good. That to me is what swing is about, and that I think the one thing that can screw that up is trying to do it, as if, just opposed to just, it's, there has to be a certain amount of giving yourself up to it and letting it happen. It's not the kind of thing that can be managed, right. so which which really, of course, infuriates and frustrates students because they want us to be the teachers with the answers. And, I mean, how many how many lessons have you gone to or hung out with guys and they just said, you just need to play, man. Like, you got it all going. You just need to play more, right? And and, and is that not, the, like, the most frustrating ad- advice you ever get? Because you, you, you're paying money. You want to get better today. You don't want to get better in six years, you know what I mean? And these guys are just telling you. You know, I can show you some stuff, but really what's happening here is you just need to play more and get it going,
0: you know? Well, as many people have said, you know, be the worst person in the band. I don't know if that's the best way to word it. Yeah, but it's true. <laughs> Maybe try to find people who are much more experienced than you is a better way of saying it. And For sure. Pick up a lot more. Yeah, be the worst person. There's nothing wrong with that, you know? I mean... Don't consciously try to play terribly <laughs> no yeah right
1: right no you'd be, be with more yeah. experienced players than yeah. yourself that have stuff to teach you of course and uh, and ones that demand you come up to their level
0: every minute you know now you know i, I was thinking maybe i would throw a a song at you where I, I would i think this idea for a jeff beck version of green dolphin street but oh cool with you playing some beautiful chords behind it when Could i say jeff beck you know i mean he he explores to a certain degree Getting into jazzy melodies.
1: Right. Oh, for sure. And his what I you know, what I love about his playing is it's all about
0: sound. Yeah, it's very uh, I would I would hesitate I, to mention myself in the same paragraph as him, but but that the idea of using a strat now to play a jazz melody is kind right. of what I meant. Oh, well, it's a great idea. So yeah, I just kinda of messed around
1: with well, playing the tune. It's like playing with Scott, you know. I mean Scott's yeah. another one who really oh as much as I, mean, I love his playing just as much as Jeff's and, absolutely you know, me too He, he you know, is like, and, and
0: it's coming from a similar place and it's like it's like Jeff Beck meets Coltrane or something yeah right it really is yeah. <laughs> the best of both worlds yeah so um, I was gonna play the tune using harmonics ah, that's mostly G. A, mostly harmonics yeah you okay. gotta find a key though obviously
1: right. or unless you wanna do false harmonics yeah, you know,
0: I'll, you can throw in some uh, fretted notes right. against the harmonic, and people don't always necessarily uh, notice would, that. Right, it's, right, cool. But I'll see if I can even play my own part here. But I was just thinking, I feel like I have a Ferrari here for a day having you here. It's like, oh, whoa, cool. what can I, what can I throw at Bruce? So I was gonna throw this at you. Okay. All right, I don't know. One, two, three, four. I believe you're getting away with that minor second on the uh
1: well it's not yeah I guess I guess you're right. I uh yeah I don't know. That's it sounded fantastic. right it sounded right with what you were doing. That's great. You know, and I mean again that oh. like for instance, I mean what you would, because of the way you were playing you inspired me to try and find as many open strings in my chords as well to kind of match that mm. ringiness that you were getting. I could have chosen the other ways like purposely play all closed strings to have more contrast. And either way would have been fine, but you have to kind of make a decision at some point. And these yeah. are the things that we need to think about when we play—not like it's G major. Oh, I'm just going to play a G major. There's oh, a right. lot of G majors, you know. And that harmony at the end, where it's do bo do ba do be da da, which is ascending bass, right? Yeah. Which is the way Miles played it, the way everybody pretty much plays, it, the way the real book says is. The original didn't go that way. Because they really didn't play those kind of flat five two fives. That was not really happening when songs like this were being written.
0: The so whenever, whenever you hear yeah. that,
1: like in other words, that F sharp minor B seven, F sharp minor seven flat five B seven, going to an E minor. You know, whenever you hear that, and then it goes down to the C sharp afterwards, right? You know what I'm talking about. So the da 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 that thing. Yeah that was really not kind of played a lot then really what they're telling you is is they want a two dominant a yeah, sounds... but yes yeah, and then then you go I mean, it into sounds like second. the
0: third of
1: the right and most support. people have a real hard time playing over the... Uh, that kind of stuff yeah. but in an a7
0: one of those things like when you first are introduced to tritone substitution right. it seems so abstract but then it's just like no that's just like a shortcut right it's just cutting across the dirt lot and saving yourself exactly it's, it's a half
1: step thing You know, it's a I hypotenuse
0: mean,
1: right and you know it, 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 the answer, again if you want to get better the, the idea is to ask the question and then find the answer for it you know so many people will sit and play through the song in time And they'll get to a spot like that, and it'll totally fuck them up. And rather than stopping and working on it and spending a half hour just digging down, maybe going to some records and finding what other people played there and, you know doing some work at that one spot they'll just kind of keep playing around and leave that spot as sort of like the pothole in the road and you know what happens we there's a pothole in the road you're gonna hit it (laughs) you know it's like it could be one little place and you're just gonna hit it or you're gonna always do your one little drive
0: around right and and you know rather than just take care of business that's a that's what i would call smart shedding yeah that's really smart like figure out on your own terms how you can deal with it or look at some other kung fu moves other people have used to yeah
1: exactly and so then this it this part doesn't become this sort of weakness that you're kind of working around the whole time and you know and then you're not sitting there practicing stuff you can already do anyways it's like it's not a good use it's not efficient and and yet a lot of us are guilty of of that very aspect
0: okay now there's so much about your career aside from just as a player all the gigs you're doing on your own and and the Hollywood stuff you've been doing, some yeah. of it, like... oh yeah,
1: <laughs> where all those parties? It's just really know, takes man.
0: takes a toll on you, man. I see Bruce Foreman on TMZ all the time, you oh, know. Nice. But like, first of all, just out of pure curiosity, you're doing something with Jeff Goldblum or something? I just Yes, I am. <laughs> I saw him in the market near my house the other day. Oh, he lives around here. Yeah, in the produce section and uh, it and, was yeah. one of those things he knew I recognized him but I didn't say anything
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, he's a he's a very interesting guy a great man uh, really what, what, and for, for the Hollywood people I've ever met he's the nicest one I would say by far I mean he's genuinely cares about everybody you know, and he gives his energy. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen the band. I've been on and off in the band for a long time, and I'm kind of not in it right now, but I'll be playing with him this week because the guy who's doing it now is doing something else. So I sub a lot, I guess, but I used to be in a band. And uh, Jeff is a good piano player. He's got a vision for a show. It's really... The longer I do it and the more often I do it, the way I see it's going, I really think... and he could tell me if I'm right or wrong I think he's developing a TV show where instead of having the host and the musical guy he kind of sees it as sort of a seamless thing where the the piano player is the host kind of like Steve Allen was in the original Tonight Show you know, so he used it would to be a talk show. Kind of yeah. Oh yeah. Nice. I know. There's scenes where he interviews the audience. There's scenes where he has a singer come up and he, and a lot of it's, uh, a lot of patter with them. He has contests in the audience, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's getting to be very much a variety show. I mean, musically it's cool. We, we play as hard as we want and he loves it when we go crazy and, and he's a good player himself. So, uh, that's been a fun thing. We do it. He goes all over the world now with that. He takes the band to New York and, uh, very you cool. know, and and he's a, a really great guy. I mean, and it's a fun show. And he'll sit out there on the stage for two or three hours, and then after the show's over, he'll take a picture, let everybody everybody in the room take a picture with him, and that's be nice cool. about it. Yeah, that's like not many guys will do
0: that. Well said. Yeah, if you can find that true pursuit. I mean, that's yeah. You also did a lot of work on the Million Dollar Baby soundtrack. Clint yes, Woods, I did a lot of work on that. He won that. A, I think. A yeah, we won the Academy picture? Award.
1: We won. We're champions. Or did whatever. you win? Was there a music? Award uh, I didn't or? get the music award, but he. It was the best picture. So yeah, it was. I'll take that. It was best. That's picture. probably better. Yeah. You know. <laughs> no, yeah, that's great. I mean, yeah, and it's helped it stay alive a lot longer. Um, yeah, it was just. It was a very. I've known Clint Eastwood for. 30 years I I know you have
0: like a Monterey kind of connection that's how I
1: knew him uh he lives there in Carmel and uh I've been playing for the Monterey Jazz Festival I my first one I was 22 when I played with Richie Cole's band and then I they liked me and the next year they did a guitar summit of which we had John Collins and Mundell Lowe and me and and uh I kind of must have done okay because right then they hired me to be in the All-Star. They had an All-Star band that would back up guys. So when Dizzy Gillespie would come out without his band or Sweets Edison or Stan Gets, a lot of the artists would come just by themselves and play with various... Bands, and we would be the backup band for all these guys and this was when they were starting not just the main stage but they had a nightclub going, so we would be playing a lot you know we'd yeah. be i would be doing i'd be backing up you know all these singers, all these horn players, so I was in that band for about ten years, and Clint was around, and I got to know him, and he would produce his own shows outside of that, and he would call me to play them and he's he's a real music lover, real jazz lover, and a really nice guy. And then uh, I was down in Monterey one night playing Louis Belson's 80th birthday party. And uh, Clint was there, and he just kind of came up to me, and he said, Guitar? I, know, like, I kind of thought he'd lost it there for a second. You know, like, <laughs> how long have you known me? And that's pretty much what I do, you know? <laughs> and uh, the next morning, he called me to come in, and Million Dollar Baby was really close to being finished, and he must have had a bunch of music he wasn't happy with, because... It was really late in the game. Music
0: is already late in the game on those
1: movies. Well, movies, yeah, it's the last thing they do. But imagine he had like probably (laughs) he had a bunch of music that he wasn't just either happy with or thought it could be something else. And um, he just called me in. I went into his studio, and he told me the story. It was about a box, a female boxer. It starts off real hopeful and then becomes a tragedy. And he wanted, like, he gave me, I want a Missouri back porch searching sound, you know, which obviously meant a flat top steel string guitar to me. And then he played the theme of the movie on the piano, you know, just like on, with his finger, you know, one finger piano stuff. Yeah, he wrote that melody. So and it was a real simple kind of melody. It had kind of this one thing that sounded kind of like. Something like that. That was basically it. And, And then it had a little bridge melody. I mean, he didn't give me any chords or anything. That's just it. And so I took it and just composed a suite of variations in like in about an hour and a half. I just sat there taking it through tempos and changes and counterpoint and adding chords to it and just taking solo it from guitar? major to my mi- solo guitar, major to minor, you know whatever juxtapositions so I could think of using it in different veins. Yeah. Playing it on the steel string? on a steel string guitar. So show
0: us some of the stuff. Well, you like do like that.
1: okay, he's got uh, That would be that phrase. Well, you know, of course I would do that and I'd do it in octaves. You know, I'd play it like just real rhapsodic so we could use it for a scene where it was like pensive. And then maybe I'd do it in harmony, you know. You know, and sometimes I did it like to make it sound almost like the guy back porch, Missouri to me meant kind of like almost primitive sometimes. So I did like that was kind of harmonic so maybe wrong you know what I mean just to make it sound a little funkier you know yeah. and then maybe some harm, some counterpoint you know and do a lot of that and maybe take it into time or if it You know let's wow. start doing all this kind of travis picky I mean, stuff that people probably don't think i either know how to do or never heard but yeah. and i just kind of took that song and just twisted it up every way i could and many times knowing that like whatever i was playing was never make the movie but it was kind of like getting me to another place where maybe something would you know and, I, and it was a like, hour or two later i'm done and a week later, he sends me tickets to the screening, and I go. And it ended up being half the music of the movie.
0: Wow! A week later.
1: <laughs> yeah, and or a week or two, and 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 some of the things I did, he even took and brought back to L.A. because we did it up in his studio in Carmel. Uh, he brought to L.A. and hanging they or- out with Clint. And, they, and they orchestrated, they orchest- they put an orchestra behind what I did. So 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 somebody obviously took my playing and then did an orchestration and got an orchestra and some of the stuff I did so even though it's all solo guitar a lot of it's you know somebody went in afterwards and did that so that and that's the way I work with Clint on about three or four movies and then it's moved on he's Do you get got any Kyle composition and, credit for that not for that no uh, and a, that's you know a weird I mean, one you, you, you it's it? a, it's a gray area uh, I Clint treated me great I love working with him uh, I don't have any problem with that. I just, yeah, you know, I, do, I did what I do normally. You're an
0: arranger is really what you are. I can you? you
1: wear adapter. I mean, yeah. it's, it's
0: more like I adapted his theme to the guitar. Well, yeah, it's funny, you know, I did I did a, a couple of scenes for this documentary and it actually became Academy Award nominated. Great. But some of the scenes would just be like, okay, the camera zooming in on the photo of the childhood, play something. Right. Like I'm literally writing on the spot. Right. But still, you don't usually get composition credit in you these things. You don't. No. That's it's kind of happened You it out of thin air.
1: Right. And that that <laughs> happens now a lot because of digital media, the ability to take stuff and, you know, in the old days somebody had to compose the music and they had to play it while they're watching the movie, you know, in, in real time. And it had to, you know what I mean? There was no, very little editing possibilities and stuff. Now with all this stuff, you know, yeah, you can just play an arpeggio and somebody can do a million things with it. And, it's old and so it has sort of taken the, you know, those guys like, you know, Johnny Mandel and Jerry Goldsmith that, you know, that really wrote serious scores, John Williams, people like that. It's kind of... That's not really the skill that's called for anymore, because of I think the medium changing, and the now, and also the way people just have become accustomed to listening to stuff. Uh, I'm not, I don't have a value judgment. I, I couldn't have any more respect for those guys who were those great screen, Lalo Schifrin, and and just those amazing soundtracks that I've heard in my life. I'm just so in awe of their mastery, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah. and I and. And or her. and I would love to give it give, give it a go, you know. And I mean, I think I could do that. But really, pretty much now, it's it's a collection of songs and and sounds that just sort of, see. And it, with the, through the digital medium, it's a lot easier to edit right. and, and and manipulate. And so people like you are like playing a little thing, and yeah, you're composing. Of course, you're composing, but you're not really giving credit because you really didn't write a song or you didn't
0: orchestrate anything. You I know, just kind I mean, I, it's funny because like, the, all the directives. I remember getting one directive, which was. You're playing very green. I, I want you to play more purple. Right,
1: right. And I don't even know. And we and you have to decide what they think that means or what it means to you. And that's but that's common. That that happens even in in jazz gigs. You know, where somebody yeah. will ask for something really off the wall, and you just got to interpret what.
0: This isn't about me, but I, I, it's funny. Clint Eastwood hates me. No, really? He no, he doesn't. Oh, okay. However. I was interviewing uh, Kevin Eubanks when he was the, still the musical director yeah. of the Jay Leno show and he got me some tickets to you know check out the show. Right. Sitting there in like the second row and uh Clint Eastwood comes out, first guest, one of my childhood heroes. I love Clint Eastwood. Uh-huh. He's just like just a huge hero to me in my whole life, and then I still love him, you know. And uh everyone gives him a big standing ovation, man. Yeah. They won't shut up. Finally, at the very end, he's seated down, he's seated. And uh, right as it's fading out, the audience, I do this whistle that my grandfather showed me. Uh. <whistles> right, yeah. And Clint literally looks over my direction to see who did, it, and he goes, "Get out!" <laughs> but he's just kind of kidding. Me. That's a dirty hairy quote from one. No, of the No, no, that's so good. The Bad and the Ugly. No, this. Oh, whistle. Yeah, oh, the whistles oh, good. Oh, the good the get out, right? And then the get out. It was just, it was oh, yeah. just funny to me, man. Oh yeah, so, yeah. Make- don't tell him you know me.
1: Oh well, you know, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Well, I've yeah. He's funny. He he's cool with everything. You get to that place, you're kind of all right with everything.
0: Yeah, he was just getting around, as was I. Now, um, you have so many cool projects. I, I recommend people check out your website. Get on. Yeah, on I would love to
1: have them all come out to gigs and uh, you know and check out what I'm doing. Sure, and I'd love to hear what they're doing too. You know, so it's really First
0: of cool. All, tell us about your obsession with cows.
1: Ah, this. my obsession with cows. It's not really cows, <laughs> but I guess you could say, I mean my phone my phone my ringtone is a cow, so I guess you might have a point here. Uh-huh. You know, uh I am I'm one of the f- strangest combinations of things simply because I'm a bebop Jazz guitar player, I guess that's what you'd have to kind of peg me as. But I'm also a cowboy. I ride horses Ah. and I can rope cows and I do kind of ranch work. And I was
0: wondering why you lived out of town.
1: Yeah, and so uh, I live here now. You know, I kind of got, I you know, I mean, I gave up the horse game for a while, but for a good five ten years I was living down uh, near Carmel in Monterey and out in the country by there and I was riding horses and training young horses and competing and stuff along with doing all my playing and I ended up in the cowboy culture I guess is the best word and my wife is a really good singer she sings like big band swing vintage swing I guess most people would probably call that style and so we were just playing gigs down around the, you know, we lived in this little village and it was great. And so when I was off the road, you know, we'd be playing gigs and she does standard tunes and we'd kind of do a lot of the old cowboy songs, but in our way, you know, I, you, know, you can imagine me doing a cowboy song. It's not yeah. three chords anymore.
0: She's in the band, right? Yeah. And, and yeah.
1: And, uh, and so what ended up happening was we went to these cowboy festivals just because our friends were hanging out. There's these cowboy poetry music festivals and we started going there and, Somebody just said, "Hey, Bruce, you 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 play and Pammy sings." I said, "Yeah." I said, "Why don't you go up, you know, and do a couple of songs for us, you know?" And so I grabbed somebody's guitar and we went up and like. They couldn't believe what they were hearing because we'd do like, I'm an old cow hand, but I'm playing, you know, kind of more like the Sonny Rollins version than the cowboy version. And she's singing and we're swing, you know, and there's a lot of swing history with Bob Wills and Spade Cooley and stuff. So they were kind of digging it and kind of just just a little bit disoriented by what we were doing. And it ended up kind of being a thing. And then they gave us a gig and then we got a band together and then... We got it on tour, and then we had to do a record, and then we got more gigs, and and so this band called Cowbop was born, and it's basically some western swing with a lot of bebop and a lot of regular swing and a lot of just just crazy humor, you know, just make yeah. and basically I kind of use it to make fun of everything. I make it's fun funny. of jazz, I make fun of country, I make fun <laughs> of cowboys, and it's just all about having fun and playing your ass off at the same time.
0: Yeah, I saw you guys once I think on Melrose. Yeah. And it was crushing. Yes. Love.
1: Yes. I mean like we'll we'll be playing, you know, some tune like San Antonio Rose and Straight No Chaser will break out in the middle of it. You know or Donnelly, you know. And we we play some really really challenging stuff because that's what's fun for me but it sounds good and it's swinging and it's all done with fun and we all dress up like cowboys which really pisses off the jazz musicians (laughs) and then we play a lot of jazz which pisses off all the cowboys and country music you know so it's like we're just like equal opportunity offenders yeah yeah and 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 i'm and and that's you know that's why i've maintained this
0: uh low economic status (laughs) Wow! Now, did do you ever play any Jimmy River stuff? I remember. Oh, recently, sure, sure. recently, I learned that tune. Man, I actually learned the whole solo and everything now. What? Which one?
1: Yeah, it's like it's like swing forty two kind of like thing. Yeah. It's like rhythm changes. I think it's just rhythm
0: changes.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: But how's the bridge?
1: Oh, yeah. I don't know if you... Yeah, well, no, I mean, I, you know, and a lot of what Jimmy was doing, believe it or not, was inspired by Barney Kessel. He did a lot of Barney Kessel's arrangements, like on that Brisbane Bop record. This was, yeah, this is on that. Yeah,
2: that
1: that, uh, that one, the Slow Boat to China, that's Barney Kessel. Is He was just copying Barney's arrangement
2: you know
1: Sweet. so yeah uh well, and yeah, those, those guys are jazz players and jimmy weibel who was a dear friend of mine i don't yeah, know if you, it too bad, right, I mean, you it's too bad am i right i mean it's too bad you didn't get it he didn't get maybe a podcast of him this guy was amazing uh he he played with bob wills that was you know his first gig in la was with bob and and so know. he played that style too, along with before he branched out and played a lot of jazz with Benny Goodman and, and Red Norvo, and Frank Sinatra. And then he kind of got into that two two, re, two, old, two line kind of classical counterpoint thing that's just amazing. And yeah. so uh, yeah, there's lots his of his class us. still
0: lives on at MIT right. by the way. Right, right. Is it David Jacobs? Oak? Sid Jacobs, right, Jacob, of course. Yeah. Yes, he's teaching it nowadays. And man, you know, Sid's another. Monster. Well, maybe you could show me how, how you take one of those those uh, Western tunes, and you and your wife would. Uh...
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. like you know, like for instance, you know, like something like I'm an old cowhand. Whoops. In this key. You know that would. You know, a lot of guys would probably play. You know, like that's kind of basically the chords. But I'm of course going to play a two five in there. And it goes like A minor, E minor, Well, I'll probably, I'll probably play a connector chord there, and then this last A minor, instead of A minor, I'm going to go up to F sharp half diminished. So I'm playing a lot of jazz here. So I can kind of, I can kind of like bridge that gap of like (laughs) bebop.
0: It's so ironic. What? Because everyone, you know, jazzers talk about cowboy chords. being, Uh And here you are cowboyizing jazz, but still playing the most non-cowboy changes.
1: Right. But at the same time, you know, and and Western Swing really didn't play. Cowboys play that. And they should because it sounds great. I mean, there's a reason why we play that. It's not, yeah. you know, we can love to put it down as being stupid. That's bullshit. This is as good as anything in the world. It's just something different. But then to move those chords mm-hmm. around, like uh, a whole thing like that, that you know, Eldon Shamblin mm-hmm. came up with was, was to kind of start moving the inner voices, not like in, like bass players would go, mm-hmm. boom, boom, you know, from the root, connect the roots. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, like Eldon would kind of go...
2: You
1: know? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> you know You see, I'm gonna come comping with this like little counterline in it. Yeah. <clears throat> and that became like the real and I'm doing it a little more beboppy than Elda did, of course. But, you know, you could hear me kind of playing and then that's a way of comping that came out of supposedly Western swing, which is really just jazz or a cello part for, you know, an inner yeah. harmony part. <laughs> and so you can build that into, you can build that, but I can also kind of start throwing that inside chords. <laughs> kind of get into all of that so what, what i'm kind of doing is taking all these disparaging things and just building my own world around it because it's my band and the other beautiful thing about cow is there's nobody else in that world in that space in my band i don't have another guitar player i don't have a piano player i just got a horn player and a singer and a bass player so all that landscape in the middle is mine so i can feature that way of playing the guitar and really go freaking nuts and not have to worry about clashing with other things or blending you know yeah. what i mean so in a way i've created my own little personal laboratory <laughs> <That's> <laughs> for how great. to do it
0: you know and of course i also need to ask you about your uh, one man show i keep oh, getting oh, I'm these oh glad uh, you asked me about that. I, in
1: many ways you know I know. I know. I sound real young to people out there, and most of <laughs> you haven't checked me out on the internet and know the fact. But I'm, you know, I'm getting up there. I've I've had a great career, and I plan to have a lot more. But I'm starting to feel like you know this might be my last and re, my last reinvention. You know, <laughs> you know, like I've got a lot of great uh, cow bop I love it's. It's really. I think maybe the most unique thing I've ever created. My way of playing in a trio, I think, is very unique. It may, most people kind of find it very mainstream, but if you really listen to it, it's, it's got my own indelible stamp on it, the way I approach music. But this one man show also is something I really want to get into. I love playing solo, I just love being by myself and having, you know, and telling stories to people. But I've written novels in my life, I've uh, got one out. It's, a, believe it or not, the story's about a guitar player. As uh, I call it, autofictionography. I just take my life and make it interesting. <laughs> nice. And so, and actually, I've written four novels. Only you're just improvising
0: on your life story. Basically.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and it's like one's out. It's called Trust Me. And then, uh, and I'm doing the audiobook of it now, actually. And then uh, I'm going to go back and I, now that you can produce stuff, publish stuff yourself, I'm just going to publish the uh, the three before it. And um, so I've always written, anyways, and. I like to tell jokes. I'm kind of a comedian on the stage, so I, I like that. And so I built a one-man show around all those things I love to do. I always felt that that was kind of why I got into jazz. And now I'm going to start ranting, and you're going to love this part of the podcast. Everybody <laughs> likes this shit. But when I got into jazz, of course, the sound of it spoke to me. I mean, that's any nobody would do anything with music unless the sound grabbed them but beyond that there are other things that grab us too and the one thing that grabbed me about jazz was that everybody that played it was so unique and so eccentric and so brilliant You know, and you'd have one guy on the bandstand who was like this bad, weird guy who like had trouble with women all the time and or whatever. And the other guy is this this pristine guy who like, you know, his clothes are always stuff and his instrument was always shiny. You know what I mean? You got this guy and that guy and another guy kind of had his own language, his way of talking. You know, I mean, everybody. But and it came out in their music and the guys that I played with. Did not only encouraged individuality, but they demanded it. If I had been like shedding West Montgomery all day, you know, which I did a lot, and went to the gig and started sounding like West, they'd be on me like stink on shit. They would say, "Hey, we didn't hire West Montgomery. You know, we don't want to hear you practicing West Montgomery. We want you to, if you're gonna, if you're gonna do this gig, you're gonna play and be, you know, and play with us and be you." And it was like, whoa, that was a whole way of doing things. And you know, I gotta say that. That's not so much happening anymore. There's a lot of conformity. A lot of people follow... Sheeping... Sheeple. Just following... Sheeple. Following what the cool thing is, or you know what I mean? And, and yeah, thinking exactly. something else isn't cool and something is. Everything's cool, man. Just open your fucking ears. You know, and be yourself. What you like, okay, do what you like. But, you know, just because it's in DownBeater, because it's on Jazz Times, or because it's... Sorry, Guitar Player don't mean shit. You got your own ears and you got your own life and you had a different experience when you were growing up and where you came from. The world needs to hear that. And maybe it won't be famous. Big fucking deal. You know, you still owe it to yourself and the world, to be honest. So, back to myself here, I you know, like for instance, the idea of entertaining while playing jazz is very much uncool now. Well, fuck that. You know, I grew up, I played with Dizzy Gillespie, I played with Ray Brown, I played with Richie Cole, I played with Bobby Hutcherson, Freddie Hubbard, they were all brilliant players, nobody ever played any better than those guys. And yet, they were also entertainers. They had a good time on the bandstand, and it mattered to them that the audience did too. Now, Keith Jarrett is an asshole, and he plays better than anybody ever has, and I go pay money to hear him every time I can, and I buy his CDs mostly, and, and I've... I'm here to say one a genius of musical ability has never walked the earth that's any better than that. But he's an asshole. And he's an asshole to the people that listen to him. And that's the way it is. And if people are cool with that, that's cool. I'm not saying Keith should be an entertainer. He should be who he is. But I'm saying I should be who I am. And I'm not mm-hmm. going to be like a fucking asshole like he is just because that's the way a jazz musician is supposed to be. That is bullshit. So... My one-man show, The Red Guitar, the one you're talking about, yeah. is, is it's a written show in that I tell a story. I'm actually playing and telling a story, and, and I'm, I'm building the story based on The Red Shoes, which was about the story of this girl who wanted the shoes because they'd make her the best dancer and pretty, and everybody would love her, and she got the shoes. And they gave her all those things, but they also wouldn't stop dancing, and they killed her. And I see that as a metaphor for us in music. Whatever got us in, you know, we heard something that turned us on. We thought we'd get girls. We thought people would love us. We thought we'd make money. Whatever, whatever reason we got into music, we got in. And once we got in, the music sort of took over, and we don't get out. And so my story is, is a lot of metaphor, but that's what the story's about. And I tell this story it's while I'm cool. playing, and I have this kind of unique ability besides liking to entertain and tell jokes, to be able to talk while I play. I've always had it. I just don't know. I played classical piano as a kid, and I guess my parents would always talk to me while I was practicing. And I could kind of do both. And I worked in bars where people could talk to you while you play, you know what I mean? And then I teach a lot, and I'm talking to my students while I'm playing. And so that is just a skill I have. It's no big deal. It's just something I've got. But it's again, it's part of me. So to build a show where I tell a story while I'm playing is not it's it's unique. It's me. And it's a cool story. And but beyond that, I wanna push myself into like one man theater. I want yeah. I mean imagine Joe Pass meets Mark Twain, meets Steve Martin, meets Woody Guthrie. I like it. You know what I mean? All that in one evening of sitting down and listening to somebody do something. And I mean, I don't need to apologize for my playing. You know what I mean? I can play. And I'm not necessarily what you call a solo guitarist, because I don't have all these badass bitchin' arrangements. You know, I just play. I'm kind of more in the Joe Pass school. I take a tune, and I do all this cool shit with it, and I have a great time. And I can make up some arrangements, and probably will the more I get into this. But... It's not about that it's about telling a story that's in the moment that's you know if whether it's the red guitar show per se or whether it's just me doing a solo show like i I was up in Canada last week and I had a solo show for a half hour and I just i mean I was talking about bear and elk and how nice hmm. Canadians are and compared to Americans you know they're really they're really nice they're kind of kinda of, i almost think like when I'm walking around when I turn around I turn my back to them they you know I, I got to be scared because it's almost fake. No one could be that nice, you know, but they are, you know, so I make yeah. a lot of jokes about that and I talk about shit that I do, but then I also play and I just kind of want to go there. So I'm just sort of like, let this is the first time I've ever said this in public. So now you've got it. You've got the, the, uh, and you will be able to. Win. By the time this goes live, I'll have, I'll realize it's a fool's errand, and I won't do it anymore. But who knows? You know, it's it's. I th- I see it as sort of my next iteration. I mean, I'm going to keep oh, yeah. doing all the other stuff I do, oh, teaching yeah. and playing and cowbop and. But I just want to... I don't know. I just think there's. We're in a we're in a heavy world right now, man. We're in a heavy world right now. It's like we're so celebrity obsessed and so social media obsessed that nobody's really doing anything anymore. We're all like chasing shit. And I mean, somebody has got to say something about that, you know what I mean? And I think me playing really acoustically, you know, and really like stripping no pedals and no bullshit, you know, and just taking it down to the core. And like I say, a bit Steve Martin, a bit Joe Pass, a bit Woody Guthrie, a bit Mark Twain, a bit whatever I've, Fucking feel like at the time and you know it probably won't be real popular like most of the shit i do but i've managed to make it this far you know oh, <laughs> you see. didn't bargain for that did you
0: bring it <laughs> bring it bruce bring it but it's you know it comes down to what you're saying which is got to go for what you love and follow what speaks to you no matter what else is going on in the world if you want to actually create something of value
1: everything we do I suggest to you, came from somebody breaking a rule. Every cool thing we do on the guitar, whether it's like a, or whatever, every little guitaristic lick or the, you know, the hint, that shit, came from somebody breaking a rule. The samba was not really a style of music. It came from another style that, you know, and then the new, the partido, which is like the rage. It was somebody breaking a rule. If you'd have just been a Samba Nazi, you'd have hated what came out. You know what I'm saying? And Bebop, they hated Bebop with the swing guys. And now me, you could say that I'm not really, which, which isn't true, but there are certain parts of modern jazz I don't really like, but I'm a jazz musician. But it's okay that I don't like it, and it's okay that they're doing it. And I applaud that they're doing it, and I'm the first guy that's there every night listening to it and checking it out and supporting it, even though I might not like it. But you know... The ones that are doing it are great. The ones that are copying the ones that are doing it are lame.
0: Word. There it is. I appreciate that. <laughs>
1: well said. Arr, know. Arr. <laughs> now I'm getting mad here. I thought this guy was funny. God, he's just a, one of them bitter old asshole guys. Geezer dude.
0: I think passionate is better word. Yeah. Got some spinal column there. Sticking yeah, up.
1: well, you know, got to hold on
0: to what you got to hold on to. And it's real. I mean, it's just like we were talking about, you know, people, that's what students want to hear, too. And people uh-huh. who are... I want to hear some real shit. Right. And they, they are. And, you know, and,
1: and, and I just got to say about that you students out there, stop being students and start being musicians. Just because you don't know as much shit as I do doesn't mean you're not a musician. The day you play that instrument, the, because the difference is a student doesn't take responsibility for all the creation of what they're doing, they right. see themselves as in practice. And I think they're missing an opportunity to get in touch with what they have to say, even at their undeveloped spot. Like, you know, you, you probably listen to your playing and you go, God, you know, there's some things I do that like the first or second day I picked up the guitar, I did that. You know, it was just somehow it felt good or it sounded good to me. And I on. you know, I latched onto it. And it's like, it's still a part of my style, you know, and that's the beauty of it. We are all physically different. We all came from different places. We heard different shit our whole lives. So stop with the student stuff. I mean, we're all perpetual students because we're always right. learning. But we're also from the first day we make a sound, we're musicians, and we need yeah. to take the same amount of responsibility and have the same amount of integrity that everybody else does.
0: Put your name on it. Exactly.
1: Exactly. And and it's okay, depending upon your teacher, <laughs> it's okay to stand up to them and to and to, to you know argue because I love it when my students like reject what I say or try to you know and because that means okay they've got something going here but I, I damn sure make them back it up that's my job as a teacher that's what your father's job was that's what your community elder's job is is to like accept you for the unique person you are but also
0: call you on your bullshit See if you can back it up right Well, cool, man. I just want to thank you so much for coming through. Okay,
1: man. Well, you know, it's kind of a dark place to leave it, but I guess that's where we're going. (laughs) So everybody, I'm not as big an asshole as I seem. Come out and check out my music because we have lots of fun. And uh, that's, I would say, you know, it's strange that I went to this place because uh, I would say one of the defining qualities of my music
0: is fun. Well, you know, I was just thinking, we just had this jam for Jamie Finley yesterday as we said goodbye to him. And and it just seems to me that a sign of a great musician is always someone... Is there's, they all have a sense of humor. Yeah. To, they, they're able to be funny. Like when Daniel Gilbert kicked in with a solo, it uh-huh. was hilarious what he was playing. Yeah. And even Jamie Finley's first thing he played was like... Or something. Yeah, right, was just, right. Something about... A, I mean, being humorous is improvising. You're seeing something on the spot, on the fly, in the moment, and you're making some... Humor out of it. Well, that's what improvising music is too. You're exactly, playing.
1: exactly. You couldn't so. have said it better. You I mean you just got to make something up, you know? Yeah. And if you just play licks, you're not making anything up. Yeah, I mean, and and you know, and being part of a community too. You know, we're all part of this great community of people who play and love music. And if we don't help each other, then we ain't much shot chance that we can look outside the community for a lot of help. You know, and to have people that love you and. You live a good life, you know? I mean, it's all cool. But, you know, the music will take care of a lot of good stuff for you. You don't have to worry about it, you know? And, yeah.
0: Man, you, you play with so many great players, too. Like, you're just listing off some of them. Yeah. Freddie Hubbard. What was, what was that cat like?
1: Freddie was a wild man. I mean, you know, he was... He was right. He was kind of a... Uh, An alpha, your typical alpha type, you know, like he was the most unbelievable technically, the most powerful. He was just this egotistical, you know, funny, wild force of nature that could just do anything and uh, loved to hang, loved to party. And he was just, you know, he was always the kind of the center of attention wherever he went. It was great. You know, there's certain people like that that yeah. just
0: sort of command. Big notes on that horn. and the trumpet is kind of a hero's instrument,
1: right? You don't play that instrument if you're like, I mean, there are guys who are shy and and play great, but usually the people who, you know, it's a Gabriel thing. Gabriel blew a trumpet. He didn't. Uh, he didn't play the piano. <laughs> if you, you know. Yeah, he didn't play the
0: bugle horn. Right. <laughs> or the French horn. Really? No. Or the bagpipes. Oh, well, yeah. I, I, think I, I wanted to play trumpet when I was a kid, and then I found this thing, which makes even more noise, so.
1: Yeah, there you go. I win. There win. you go, you see? You know, some of us do it just to piss off our parents. Well, let's, let's play something. Sure, let's play something. I don't know. Well, I'll play a little intro, maybe.
0: you say now that you've jammed with me for what do i need to work on now i know you don't have another hour to list all of the things
1: <laughs> no no i mean wow
0: you're the teacher
1: uh, yeah yeah you're right
0: you can tell a lot you've jammed with me for an hour
1: right right uh you know i would i would suggest that you you, you learn the tunes better i think that the, the thing that's keeping you from being so much better on these songs is just you're not quite sure there's there's a difference when you're really centered on the song it's almost as if you're looking forward in the song right and if you don't really know the song well it's like you're catching up to the song and the catching up to the song starts to make things feel sort of frantic and your ideas don't end you just kind of like you're just about to end an idea and you jump on to the next one because you're sort of trying to keep up with the song as opposed to nice. really be super
0: solid in the song, ding, ding, ding. does that make sense? It does. I mean, you know, you end up playing in a band too. You work. You're doing that set every day, and then right, you haven't played jazz in six. Right, months. no, but you
1: get. You know, when you know a song, you just you you hear into the future. I love it. When you don't know the song, you're like trying to catch up to the present.
0: Well, I love it. Thanks for that, uh, and thanks for letting me down gently with that uh, question. Oh no, that was, <laughs> but it's very true. Very yeah. good advice. I that, mean, you know.
1: it's, it's actually it's funny I
0: don't think I played softly in probably five years well
1: it sure didn't sound like it you know I mean I do, you got a lot of obviously you got a lot of musicality you got a lot of chops you get a great sound so you know I mean there you you know th- that's all taken care of but um, I don't know I have this credo I think everything is simple it's just not easy
0: I like that that's good thanks again <laughs> thank you it's
1: great man <laughs>
0: By the way, that song is called Tri-Tip by yours truly, Jude Gold. It features Gretchen Men on the harmonics, so it's actually called Tri-Tip featuring Gretchen Men." She plays those nice harmonics. I'm only telling you this because a number of you have asked me if it's available on Spotify or iTunes, and it is. And by a number of you, I mean exactly two of you. But hey, that's a number. So check it out. Before you go, though, just remember, people, don't be sheeple. I like that. Bruce taking a stand in life. Find what's in your heart and bring it to the surface. Thanks to Zoom for the H6 Handy Recorder. Lifesaver. I'm rushing off to the East Coast now, playing gigs in Westbury, New York at the uh, Westbury Music Fair where they have the rotating stage at least it's usually rotating the one that Joe Satriani and I talked about in the very first episode of this podcast which you can still hear then I think we're headed to maybe Asbury Park, New Jersey then Penn's Peak, Pennsylvania then Washington, D.C. Jefferson Starship Shows. Jeff Pivar will be on a couple of those. Westbury, New York, and, and Penn's Peak. And he's a fantastic player. He'll be opening the show with Jazz is Dead and Alfonso Johnson. Rod Morgenstein from the Dregs. These guys are monsters. Chris Smith on keyboards. And uh, I'm saying that because you might have already heard the Jeff Pivar episode of this podcast. Or he breaks it down what it was like to play with Ray Charles and also how to play lap steel and all these cool things hope you dug it alright I'll see you next week keep it alive till you're 95